What I love about Jesus is that he is strong. He fights the devil on his own turf and beats him. He goes into the wilderness. He goes to the hard places because that's what obedient people do. Obedient people go to the hard place and they put themselves in a place that's not comfortable because souls matter. seen your faithfulness you never break your promises you are good always good my Jesus in the tension of the night you speak your word my guiding light I will trust, I will trust you, Jesus. Sing this out. I praise your name. In every moment I will choose to sing. With all I am, with every breath I take. I praise your name. always grace for a broken heart you are my strength when days gets hard be my hope you're my hope King Jesus I praise your name in every moment I will choose to sing with all I am with every breath I your name I praise your name you are the giver of every good thing with all I am with every breath I take I praise your name in the good the bad times in the shadow in the sunlight it's my joy for my whole life to praise your name sing that again in the good in the bad times in the shadow in the sunlight it's my joy for my whole
Man, go ahead and be seated, please. Good morning, welcome to Ridgecrest. I'm Rose Savino. Our mission here is to make Christ-centered disciples of our neighbors and the nation. If you're a guest, thank you for choosing to spend your Sunday with us. Let us know you were here by filling out a Let's Connect card from the seat back in front of you. And after service, bring it to the Welcome Center. We'd love to meet you and give you a gift. Also, in the seat back in front of you, we have a prayer card. If you have a prayer need, please fill out the yellow card and place it in the offering bag later this morning. We have a team of people who will be praying over these needs today. Now, let's look at what's coming up at Ridgecrest. What's up, Ridgecrest fam? Today's Sunday service has been hijacked by our student ministry. This past weekend, we have participated in our yearly weekend retreat. Uh, this weekend, we have explored what it looks like to live a life of faithfulness to God because of who Christ is, and you have found yourself in our main session four. Uh, we invite you to worship with us. Uh, things are going to look a little different today, but we're so excited to have you with us this morning. Celebrate Recovery is excited to welcome artist and featured speaker Bob Willis this week. Through story and sculpting, Mr. Willis will share with us a piece he calls The Heart of Jesus. The program will be during Celebrate Recovery this Thursday, April 28th at 6 p.m. The event is free and everyone is welcome to attend. Save the date. Adults ages 55 and over are invited to the Young at Heart Game Day on Thursday, May 5th. Bring a finger food and your favorite game and meet in the Fellowship Center from 11 to 1. This event is free and no registration is required. For more information about what is coming up at Ridgecrest, check out your bulletin or our website. Now, let's worship together. Stones away. 
Hey Ridgecrest, we just want to give you an update from Montreal and say thank you for the way that you support our family. Um, God has been at work in so many ways here. We are so thankful to see Renaissance Church growing and flourishing. We've had so many new people uh, join with our church and be a part of what God's doing. We're seeing people in discipleship and growing in their faith. Um, just recently, a few weeks ago, we celebrated four baptisms at Renaissance and it was just such a joy. Um, to be able to, um, to baptize those people as a church family. Um, one of the things we've been really excited about is um, about a year, almost a year and a half ago, we were able to start a food bank in the community of Little Burgundy where our church has really put a lot of, um, of effort in, in sharing the gospel and serving people. And it's just been amazing to see the, um, the, the relationships that have been built and the connections that have been made um, as we've been able to serve this community. And so we are excited for all the ways that God is at work. And we just want to thank you for uh, partnering with us, for praying for us, for those that have been able to come and serve with us in the past. We are so thankful for the way that Ridgecrest has partnered and supported us over the last five and a half years. And we um, are so, so grateful for the way that you are a huge part in the making of disciples and planting churches here in Montreal. It's a joy to be with you today and to have this wonderful group here. Uh, last night I came and uh, they taught me some handshakes and... Um, I can tell you I, I, I felt really old uh, being here last night. Thank you, uh, uh, young men, for helping me with that. But uh, nonetheless, what an awesome time it is to be here together today. We're excited to have each of you here. And I wanted to take a few minutes and make some connections for you. I feel like one of the things that we at Ridgecrest, we have many, many good things that are happening, but often we fail to make a connection. And so during our annual business meeting last year, I shared with the, the, the group that had gathered that I wanted to, from time to time, bring the church up to speed and celebrate some of the things that God is doing, and then also to challenge the church in some ways. So I want to do that for just a couple of minutes. And the first thing I want to mention to you uh, is that video. Now, this month, with Easter month, it's the Annie Armstrong Offering Month. Many of you know about Lottie Moon. That's when we do our International Mission Board offering. But it's this time of year that we support North American missions. Now, we want to connect dots with you because when we talk about a mission offering to North America, well, North America's big. It's a big area, right? But did you notice that the Copelands, they are in North America, they're in Canada, they're in Montreal, and they're a part of our ministry. They're an extension of who we are, but they're also connected to the North American Mission Board. So far this month, 
We've already met and exceeded last year's offering for Annie Armstrong. We had about 21,000 or so last year. We're close to 30 right now, and we still have today and the rest of this month to collect for that. So we're excited about that because when we give to the Annie Armstrong offering, we are giving to our missionaries, people that we love and trust and support. So that's a big thing to celebrate. But what I want to celebrate with you for just a moment is a bit of an update on what's been going on in Poland and to explain just how amazing it has been. So if you'll remember back in February, I came to you with this crazy idea that I really believe that God was calling us to act and to put a plan together to get the children that we love so, so much, another partner in ministry, Children's Path there in Ukraine, to get them into Poland and out of harm's way. I came to the church and said, you know, we've put pen to paper. We think it's going to take about $100,000 to get this thing going. And it's nice sometimes when the church doesn't listen to the pastor because we've managed to raise $200,000. Now, let me explain something. I, I, I always hesitate to mention numbers like that because it sounds like bragging, but it ain't bragging if it's fact, Okay. 198 to be exact, and preachers, we always round up, just so you know. So $200,000 nearly anyway, and you say, man, that is a lot of money. Well, we were right in terms of our calculation for about two months. We've already been there two months. And so we've managed in that time to utilize about half of the gifts you've given. And you say, what does that go to? Well, Airbnbs. Uh, we're talking about uh, renting vans and cars and doing all kinds of, of travel. We have managed to keep a team there uh, in Poland for two months. That costs money, but it's been great because Children's Path needed the extra help. So Thank you so much for giving us the ability to do that. And also, we want to mention to you that not only have we been able to help the children at Children's Path, but because of your gifts, we were able to touch the lives of some 500, and that is counting still, Ukrainian refugees who are coming into Poland and moving on to other places in Europe. We've been able to house them and feed them for two months because of your generosity. Thank you. Those dollars that you've given uh, to our Defender Orphan Care Ministry, if it's not going to go for the specific purpose here, we have committed to use those funds to help with adoptions, to help with fostering, to ensure that those monies are used for the purpose that you gave it, which was to help kids and those in danger. Thank you very much. And I also want to just give you this challenge. As we move forward, we are already seeing that our budget offerings are above uh, last year's total, so that's great. It, what's neat is, is we've raised this money and done this ministry, and nothing else has suffered. It's all worked together for good, and thank you for that. And we believe that we have a great opportunity to eliminate our debt this year before the end of the calendar year. With our budget being so high uh, uh, above last year, we, are, we believe we can take those funds and apply it towards any debt that we have, and by the end of the year, we want to be completely debt-free. So as God encourages you to give to that, if you'll help just a little bit, I think we'll get to that goal by the end of the year. And also, one more thing, I am excited about the Save Our City revival that's coming to our church September 8, 9, and 10. 
John Stroop and Freeway Ministries. They're on the north side of town. They do a community-wide revival, and they do it in different churches every year. And this year, it's going to be here, September 8, 9, and 10. So we ask you to be praying about that, and we believe that there will be scores of salvations as a result of that ministry here. It's going to be amazing. It's good to be here today, and I feel like I'm in a video game with these graphics. It looks great. Now, more like an Atari video game, so those of you who are, like, really old know what I'm talking about. The graphics are better in games today, uh, but this looks great. And I want to tell you, Nick uh, did a great job in our first service. I know he's going to do a great job. I want you to listen to his heart carefully, and we, we really believe that these kids, these teenagers, these young men and women... We believe in you all. We are trusting that the Lord is going to do a great work in you. And I hope that you feel that love as you've been here this weekend. All right? Now, I'm going to have Miss Ashley come, one of our rock stars. Uh, not only... I, I called it. See, you're a rock star. So she's going to come and share a few more uh, thoughts from this weekend and then lead us in our offering. Ashley. So glad that was caught on camera. <laughs> uh, good morning, Ridgecrest. It's so good to be worshiping with you this morning. Um, we have just had a blast this weekend, haven't we, guys? We have had a blast. Uh, this weekend, uh, if after all the videos and everything you haven't caught on, uh, this weekend uh, was our weekend retreat in student ministry. Uh, weekend retreat is a D-Now weekend, and um, we at weekend retreat, we stay in host homes. So some of you hosted students all weekend long in your house. Um, we, we dove into God's word in main sessions to see what it looks like to live a life of faithfulness because of who Christ is. Um, we really pressed into community by doing small groups this weekend. Um, we went roller skating and played basketball and volleyball, all the fun stuff. We had a great time this weekend. Um, I'm just, I want to express my gratitude to all of you who served this weekend. Thank you so, so much for everything you did. Um, we are so thankful 
Yeah, Yukai, I like that. <laughs> yeah. We're just so thankful to be at a church that prizes and values this generation of students. Um, we believe that God has a work to do in this generation. And so um, we ask that you will continue to pray for these students as they uh, take naps this afternoon and go to school this week. And, um, and, and as they just really are challenged to go out and live the truths that they learned this week. And I, I ask that you would pray for them uh, as they do that. So um, offering bearers, if you would come forward this morning. Thank you, guys. It is so exciting to see all that God is doing um, in this church and through this church. And so um, we're just so thankful to him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you um, for your character that you never change. God, we thank you that we can rely on that and we can have faith and trust in that. God, that we can build our lives on who you are. Uh, God, on your word. God, I, I pray that you would increase our faith um, this morning as the word is preached. God, I, I pray that you would increase our faith when we open the word in our quiet time. I pray that you would um, allow us to grow deeper in our community after this weekend. Um, God, we love you so much, and we thank you um, for everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
church. I knew you all would be awake and ready to roll by now. Yeah, so if you, if you all know this already, because I pretty much say it on a nearly weekly basis, but for the rest of you, if you don't know, um, my, my son has really served a, a great purpose in my life, um, not just in blessing my wife and I, um, with the gift of parenthood, um, but also um, he's just a he's just a factory for like cool introductions to messages. Um, so I've I've got I've got one of those for you this morning. Um, he every every morning um, it's it's true that I do not wake up by my own accord. I don't ever. Um, he determines when I wake up, and he often determines that I wake up before I feel ready to wake up. 
Um, when he was uh, when he was just a, a, a littler guy, about two years old or so, it was actually quite sweet how he would wake me up. He would wake me up by sneaking onto my bed and giving me a hug, and he would whisper to me, "I love you, Daddy." And it was just the best. Like, I'm not a morning person, but how can you not be okay with that being the way by which you're woken up? Um, He's five now. Um, Five-year-olds wake up dads differently than two-year-olds. Uh, nowadays, he's got kind of a, he's got kind of a, a, a dual method for waking up. He chooses one every day, um, and the first one is like this. He'll he'll jump up onto my bed and like either body slam me, elbow me in the back or something. It'll be like, make me breakfast. <laughs> and if you can believe it or not, that's like the that's like the better way out of these two. <laughs> Here's the second one. He sneaks onto the bed while I'm dreaming sweetly. He'll get real close and he'll hover right at my ear (laughs) and he'll say, London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. (laughs) (laughs) He blows in my ear as hard as he can and he thinks it's just hilarious and I wake up startled and angry and scared of, of some sort of impending disaster And every morning when that's the method he chooses, I ask myself the question, how on any level does this make any sense? I don't understand. I feel like we've all encountered at some point in our life an interaction with somebody or a circumstance in which we have asked ourselves the question, How on any level does this make any sense? Over the course of our weekend retreat, these students have um, asked the question, uh, what does it mean to be full of faith? What does faithfulness really look like when we put it in our lives? What does that mean? look like. Um, And our our speaker has done a wonderful job of outlining uh, principles of a life filled with faith. Um, Our small group um, uh, resource over the course of the weekend kind of was was driven out of Hebrews chapter 11. That's the hall of faith chapter in which the author talks about uh, all of these Old Testament examples of what it looks like to be completely faithful to God. Um, And so they talked about a few like Abraham and Sarah and Noah and and those like that. And then uh, as I was reading further down in Hebrews 11, I noticed um, there was another example that I want to bring to your attention this morning that we're going to explore in a little bit more depth. But first, Hebrews 11, verse 30 says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And so if you've got your Bible with you, will you turn with me to Joshua chapter six? And while you're turning there, let me just make an observation about our culture here in in, in the Springfield area. It seems like when uh, we talk to just about anybody, like they, they probably have faith in something like that people the idea of faith doesn't seem to be a foreign concept in our area Uh, but sometimes when we think about faith we're thinking about things like you know i really trust that god will allow me even in rush hour to turn left onto campbell i trust that 
Anybody who goes to Panera very often understands what I'm talking about. Or maybe I have faith that these cheese fries are not going to burn my mouth when I eat them. Those seem to be expressions of faith, but is that what we're talking about here when we, when we bring up the idea of being full of faith? Are those statements really full of faith? Well, we're going to see a couple of examples from uh, Joshua chapter 6 today in which uh, the fullness of faith is clearly on display both by Joshua and the people of Israel at large. And so if you will, um, look at Joshua chapter 6. For the sake of time um, and for the sake of your health, um, I'm going to allow you to remain seated. We're going to, this is a narrative, this is a story, this is his, like this is history. Um, this is a long passage. Um, and in fact, uh, I, I learned that the long passage takes a long time to read in the first service. And so um, we are actually going to only read through verse 21, but I would encourage you in your own time to finish the rest of chapter six. But feel free to stay seated this morning as we read these first 21 verses in Joshua chapter six. The word of God says this, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every one straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord, following them. The armed men went and were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and uh, the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them. The rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp, so they did for six days." On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was on that day that they marched around the city, I'm sorry, and on the seventh time, lines and words, at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you... 
Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take away any of the devoted things and make them, the camp of Israel, a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that every uh, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Last verse for now. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. You'll see on the screen this morning uh, the main point of where we are supposed to, or where we're trying to get here in Joshua chapter 6. It, is, it says this, a life full of faith fully aligns to the plans and the promises of God. Let me pray for us before we jump into this. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you, um, you have plans for us. You have plans for your people in this world. We thank you for your promises as well. As we look at those two things today, um, God, I pray, um, Lord, that you will speak to the people from your word. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so like I said, we're going to look at uh, each of these individually um, through the lens of this narrative, Joshua, the people of Israel, and the conquest of Jericho. And so the first thing we see this morning is that those who are full of faith are fully aligned with the plans of God. And so as we look back at verse one, we see kind of this picture, this little glimpse of how Jericho finds itself as Israel is camped outside its walls. It says, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And so you can imagine this scene. You've got uh, Jericho, which boy, we've got some uh, we've got some um, some ideas flowing in our head already. If you've ever read this story, whether it's in a kid's Bible, watched some crazy stuff on Veggie Tales, or you just read the scriptures and you have this idea of what Jericho is and what the people of Israel are. Um, here's the deal: uh, the people of Israel are numerous. They're numerous, and I don't know if you know this, but they're not really like the, the best soldiers in the world, which, which will play into how all of this goes down because God is calling them to um, conquer cities full of people who are soldiers over and over and over again as they work their way deeper and deeper into the promised land. But oftentimes when we think about Jericho, it says that it's shut up, but it doesn't say anything necessarily about its size. And so Israel is a numerous group of people. They are a huge mob of people outside of this city. But when we think of Jericho, Jericho, oftentimes I think, and I think in Grace Kids Bible, um, it's got like big walls and seems like this really big place. Uh, as I've done some research here, as I've prepared for this morning, um, here's what I've learned. Jericho's not as big as I thought it was. Now, it was strategically located. It was an important place, but it's not this huge metropolis that they're going to have to try to go in for their first, uh, their, their first um, conquest campaign in the land of Canaan. It's really not that big. In fact, I did a little bit of digging uh, just in light of that. Uh, Green County Assessor's Office website is really, really fun to use sometimes. And so I actually did some like land creeping on Ridgecrest. So here's what I did. Um, Kevin Keene and I were hanging out in his office and, and we looked this up and it turns out um, that the property of Ridgecrest Crest, um, just the parking lot section with the building and stuff um, equals about like 13 acres. And so spatially, like think about that, like 13 acres. Um, we have good reason to believe that the city of Jericho was roughly that size, maybe a little bit smaller, maybe closer to like 10 acres. 
So when we think about Jericho, oftentimes we're like, oh, it's this big, big place. Well, really, it turns out that like our campus is pretty comparable in size. And so as you think about them marching once a day for six days and then seven times, like now we have kind of a different image in our head with how that looks. But here's something else that I'd like to speculate about this morning. Um, we, when we think of Jericho um, more realistically as a smaller place, smaller places have fewer people. And so if Israel is numerous, I wonder if they might have been thinking, even before these plans were given to Joshua from the Lord, I wonder if they might have been thinking like, hey, we could take them. Strength in numbers, we've got this. I'm really thankful they didn't go that route, which is why we can say that Joshua and the people of Israel are full of faith. But it's so funny how we get these pictures in our head of what things look like, and uh, we, we fill in the gaps of details. Like, um, you know, for example, let's say that, 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 that Taylor gives uh, me some great news about she and Colby, like, hey, they got a dog. Um, I, my first question to anyone who gets a dog is, well, well, what's its name? If she says, sprinkles... I'm going to fill in the gaps of the story. I'm going to fill in the details, and I'm going to assume that Sprinkles fits in a handbag, right? But then, like, Colby and Taylor invite me over, and it turns out that, like, Sprinkles needs a stable. <laughs> See, we, we, we have this idea in our head, and we take it, and we run with it, but sometimes it's not as factual as we'd like for it to be. And so now that we've got a proper Jericho in our head and a proper people of Israel, we can entertain the idea that maybe they were thinking, like, we could just take them, like, but then God gives these plans, and these plans are not, you can take them. These plans are really, really unorthodox. Look at verse 3. Here they are. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests uh, bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And then day seven, you march seven times around the city. Then the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you're going to shout and boop, walls fall down and you're going to have a straight shot right into the city. Guys, in no way, shape, or form does this plan resemble any like ancient Near Eastern battle tactics. This is a plan in which, given to me, I would say, how in the world does this make any sense at all? How does this make any sense at all? It makes just about as much sense on paper as, as Grayson's backyard bird trap. Okay, let me tell you about Grayson's backyard bird trap. Here's what you do. Step one, you put a bunch of old pennies out and you make a trail. Step two, you wait at the end of the trail. Step three, you wait for the bird who loves pennies to hop along the trail in curiosity, wondering where it leads. Now, step four, this is important. You take the garden spade that has no handle and you decapitate the bird when it gets to the end of the trail. That's what you do. On paper, that plan makes no sense. According to human logic, God's plan of taking a short walk once a day for six days and then taking a longer walk on the seventh day and then yelling really loud when we hear the trumpets that doesn't make a whole lot of sense from a human perspective either. 
But I think there is good reason for why God does things the way he does. You see, they may have been thinking in their heads like, hey, we might be able to just take them ourselves without having any direction. I know God has led us um, through the wilderness, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. He's allowed us to cross the Red Sea and go across the Jordan River into the land. I know he's been leading us, but man, we could, man, made it from heaven. He's been doing all of that stuff for us. But now, man, we could, we could put this on autopilot. We could take it ourselves. They're not that many people. And this is an important conquest. Jericho sits at the top of this ridge and you, can, and you can have a campaign that goes northward and one that goes south after that. And so you can really start to like conquer the land. This is an important thing. We could just take matters into our own hands and do it. And then this is the plan that Joshua gets. Now he's got to be full of faith because he's going to be the one to relay these plans to the people. It takes a whole lot of faith to take a crazy plan to the people you lead and give it to them. It's a lot that he had at risk, his reputation. I mean, they could have just mobbed him. They could have been like, that's ridiculous. We're not doing it that way. Let's take him, and then let's get some ladders and climb up the walls ourselves. They could have done that, but they didn't. And so that tells us that the people of Israel, too, are full of faith because they obeyed the command, too, without any of the context in which the plan was given and so Joshua has a little bit of context because he is in direct communication with the Lord. If you look at chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, you see he has this encounter with the commander of the Lord's army. And we could talk theology some other time because we don't have time for that this morning. But who was that? We know that God is up to something there. And then immediately following that in chapter 6, Joshua is given this plan. It says, the Lord spoke to Joshua. God is directly speaking this plan to Joshua. And so he's got some context. But notice as he gives the plan to the people, he provides just the commands to the people. He says, Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them. He didn't say, man, like, let me tell you about this thing that happened the other night when I was walking around. Let me tell you about, like, God literally said this to me. I know this sounds crazy, but like, God said it, so it's okay. They weren't given context. They were just given the command. Here's what this says about the people of Israel. At least in this instance, they are trusting the fact that their leader is receiving vision directly from the Lord, and they are trusting that what they are getting from Joshua, Joshua has gotten from God himself. Let me ask you this, church. Do you believe that your leader is following the vision given to him by God. Maybe you're thinking, I didn't, Jeremy, I didn't hear anybody say anything right there. Like, bro, we're gonna get through that. Uh, hopefully it was, like a, it was like an internal nod. Like, yes, we trust that our pastor is following Jesus as he gives us vision for the direction of our church. I believe that he is. So there may come a day, it may be soon, it may be far from now, in which your pastor stands before you and he says, this is the plan. And we have to ask ourselves the question, are we faithful enough to believe and agree that the plan he is laying out before us comes directly from God? I think the answer is yes, because I know that Pastor Jeremy is following Jesus and depending on him for direction on how to lead the people of Ridgecrest Baptist Church. I believe that, and I sure hope, despite the lack of audible interaction, I sure hope that you too believe that your pastor is following Jesus. And so what that says is if he is, and I trust you uh, that you believe that he is, I do too. Here's the deal. If he is, 
and he says some sort of vision before us, can we trust that if it doesn't make sense to us, that it's still trustworthy because he received it from God himself? I think we can. And so we see that with the people of Israel. They receive these commands, and then look what it says in verse 8. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, and then verses 8 through 20 is them doing the plan. And this isn't like a quick shot plan. This is a plan that takes a full week, and it takes crowd participation. And they march and the ark goes with them, and the trumpets are there. Day by day by day, they're taking this short walk around something similar to the size of our parking lot. They're walking. They're obeying, despite their lack of full understanding of the logic behind the plan, because they trust that the leader received the plan from the Lord. Now, I want to draw particular attention for a moment to verse 18, there's this, there's this instruction that's given. It says, uh, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. And so he goes on to say, like all the, all the, all the valuable stuff, all the gold and the silver, the bronze and the iron, all of that belongs to the treasury of the Lord. And so in between points here, I wanna make it very, very clear that if we are full of faith, and I'm talking full, not three quarters, not half, not less. If we are full of faith, there is nothing that we are requiring from God or anybody else in return for our faithfulness. All of the things that you will see in Jericho, people of Israel, all the things of value, you are not to keep those for yourself. You are to devote those to the Lord because I remember that this plan makes no sense from a human perspective. Therefore, it must be God doing the work. Therefore, if God is doing the work, there is absolutely no reason for me to receive any credit or any riches because of the work of God. And so a good question, a good diagnostic question to ask ourselves as we are pursuing God in faith is this. Am I asking him as I follow him, am I asking him for anything in return. I believe that we, if we are looking for anything in return, our cut, some credit, whatever it might be, if we are looking for anything in return, there is a high likelihood that we are not actually walking full of faith. Not only do we fully align our lives with the plans of God, but we also fully align our lives with the promises of God. I want to take you back to the beginning of this account in verse 2. Look at what look at what God says to Joshua. He says this, "See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor." I love the fact that God speaks in past tense. He says, "I have given. It's done. I have done this for you." You know, this isn't the only time that God speaks this way to Joshua. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1 in verses 2 through 5, this is what he says, not, not just talking about Jericho, but talking about the promised land at large. This is what God tells 
Joshua. He says, as I told Moses, I have given you and all my people the entire land that you will be marching over. Your borders will reach from the great Euphrates River in the east through the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Then he says, Joshua, no one will be able to defeat you as long as you live. I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will always be with you. I will never abandon you. Let me tell you something, in, in, a, in an act of vulnerability, I'll, I'll tell you this, I, I've got kind of a skepticism of verbal promises. Um, and that doesn't just come from me being a ding-dong, though I am. It also comes from the fact that there are people who are very close to me, people that I've cared about in my life, that have offered me promises that they didn't keep. And so I'm a little bit slower to trust nowadays because of that. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, should that skepticism, if that's you, if you're like me in that way, should your skepticism apply to God too? Is he trustworthy? And is he always trustworthy? Well, just in this text, uh, he promised that the city of Jericho would be given to Israel. Verse 20 tells us that, that's the, the, the completion of the event. It says, um, the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that, every, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. They did it because God did it for them. God kept that promise. Um, also, we see kind of these, and this is a sermon for another day, um, but go read a chapter two about Rahab and the spies and all of that stuff. Um, Rahab was spared, which is another promise kept in this, um, it found in this account. God keeps this promise to uh, preserve Rahab and her family, not because she's awesome. In fact, it talks about how deplorable her lifestyle is, but, it also, but it's because of her faith. Um, she hears the testimonies of God, and, and then she encounters these spies, and she's like, man, your God is the real deal. I trust in him in faith. And because of that, her life is spared. Um, she's included in the lineage of Christ, which is a blessing that she had no idea about, but she was a part of. God is that faithful. But not only does God keep promises about who he is, I'm sorry, what he does, but also who he is. Listen to this. Verse 21 tells us that, and you're gonna be like, wait, what, what, what? How in the world does this make any sense? London Bridge, says this, then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Now, what in the world? That says nothing about God remaining steadfast in his character and his nature, but it does. See, God does not, will not ever, 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 ever tolerate unrepentant sin, regardless of who is committing it. And you may be thinking to yourself like, hold up a second. This is mean, this is mean. The people of Jericho were going about their business. They were just living their lives. And, and, and then these, this mob of people started going around their city. And then the walls fell down. And they came in and they killed everybody. What a mean thing to do. But the people of Jericho weren't innocent. The people of Jericho, apart from Rahab, were faithless. At least in the one true God some things that they were doing. They, they were great idolaters. That's what they did. They, they worshiped false gods. Um, sexual misconduct was a, was a rampant problem in these Canaanite civilizations. Um, things as heinous as child sacrifice were regularly taking place. Now do you feel sorry for them? Yeah, me neither. God is just. And when justice needs to be enacted because of unrepentant sin, God will always do that. 
And it's not just God using his favorite people group to pick on other people groups. God uses pagan civilizations to enact justice on the people of Israel when they are living in unrepentant sin. We're seeing in Joshua 6 a very faithful moment in the history of Israel, but Israel is not always as faithful as they are in Joshua 6. Sometimes they're doing the opposite of faithfulness. Sometimes they're complaining. Sometimes they're skeptical of God's goodness. Sometimes they're just flat out turning away from God and worshiping things and people that aren't God. When God sees unrepentant sin, he deals with it. And he justly deals with it all the time. Not only does God make and keep promises about the things that he will do, he makes and keeps his promise to always be who he is. We can trust that a year, 10 years down the road, God's not going to be like, yeah, I know I was saying those types of things back then when you made that commitment, but not anymore. He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to grow into something different than he is now. He is who he is, and we can trust that he will always remain steadfastly himself. Can he be trusted? And God's done a lot of things that uh, prove that he can. Um, he kept his promise to Abraham to bless him with land and babies and, and offspring, uh, land and offspring and, 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 and blessing the world through Christ. He did that. He, uh, he promised to um, bring an enslaved people out of Egypt and into this promised land that we're reading about today. Um, he promised to restore Judah back from Babylonian exile. There's an act of justice that God allowed to happen to the people of Israel. Um, he promises uh, to do not just scriptural Old Testament narrative things that we can read about, but he also promises to do things in our lives as well. If, if we are seeking wisdom, if we are seeking wisdom, we seek him for it, and he promises to provide it to us. Um, he promises always to be with us. That was one of the promises he gave Joshua in chapter one, and then the ark circling around this city is, a, is, a, is, a, is an example of what that looks like. God goes with us. Not only that, but he promised that, 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 we would, um, that we would be given this wonderful invitation to receive his grace and to be saved. That's a guarantee from God. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, not might be saved. Will, definitive language. God is a promise keeper. And I don't know if you have been coming to Pastor Jeremy's Bible study or not, but there's a wonderful promise coming Jesus is coming back, is coming back, not might, is. Jesus is coming back. God has a perfect track record of keeping his promises. So is he trustworthy? Absolutely. Band, if you guys will come. Uh, a life full of faith fully aligns with the plans and the promises of God. I want to share with you another scripture um, that you'll see on the screen here real quick. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9 read as follows. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Man, because those statements are true, I want you to know how Many times the plans of God um, are not going to align with your intuition, with your expertise, so to speak. The plans of God, his promises, they don't have to make perfect sense to you in order to be true. How many times do we see that in Scripture? 
Because some of these some of these plans that God drew up to move his kingdom and will forward. He chose a pagan moon worshiper to be the father of the nation that would bring about the Savior. He uses dudes with speech impediments to tell world superpowers who believe themselves to be gods to let their free labor go. That's what he does. He makes uh, the laws of physics go bye-bye when necessary. He parts seas. He allows the sun to stand still in the sky. He does those types of things. That doesn't make sense from our perspective. But not only that, he takes armies of 32,000 people and reduces them to 300 and says, yeah, that's more like it. Go to war. He uses pagan kings to fulfill his will. He has that much power, that much authority. He feeds thousands of people on a hillside using food the size of a happy meal. That's what he does. Let me remind you, last week we celebrated something that on no planet makes any sense from a human perspective. He bore the sins of the world. He took the wrath of the Father on himself for a people like you and like me who wildly do not deserve that kind of mercy and grace. And he did it for us. And not only that, he stopped being dead just like he said he would. He's alive after being crucified to death. God's plan doesn't always make perfect sense from a human perspective, but does that mean that God needs to conform his plans to our perspective? Or does that mean that we need to shift our perspective toward God's plans? What a wonderful example that Joshua and the people of Israel provide for us. And so often, I know this is a familiar text to so many of you guys. I know that as soon as you heard Joshua 6, you're like, Jericho, walls. I've heard this preached a thousand times. And here's the deal. I've heard this preached a thousand times too. And I'm disappointed in a lot of preachers who, who land on this idea that, that, that God will bring your walls down. This is the point. God will bring your walls down. Whatever your challenges are, oh, you don't make enough money. God will bring that wall down. Oh, you don't have a girlfriend yet, high schoolers. Oh, God will bring that wall down. Ah, oh, I don't have enough stuff. God will bring that wall down. Ah, oh, I don't like the way I look. God will bring that wall down. Can I tell you something? That is a weak application of this text. It's weak. A better one is this. There is going to be a day that God will call you to march. Whatever that looks like. Do you trust him enough to do that? Will you march? And when it comes to day four, day five, day six, will you still be marching? You see, a life full of faith fully aligns with the plans and the promises of God. And so as we prepare to respond this morning, perhaps God is already prompting you with ways in which you ought to march. These don't have to be big things. You don't have to like uproot your family, unless he's calling you to. You don't have to uproot your family and go be a missionary across the world. But what if he's calling you to something right here in the moment? Maybe, maybe God is calling you to offer forgiveness where forgiveness needs to be offered. Maybe you've been holding a grudge for years and years and years, and that's the thing that you have not yet surrendered to the Lord, that you need to. Because until you do, you cannot confidently say that you are living a life full of faith. And these teenagers will tell you that if you are living a life full of faith, you are living a better life than any other way you can make up for yourself, period. Living life with Jesus is better. They'll tell you. 
So what's it going to be? Are we going to hear about faithful people, admire their example, and then leave it as it is? Or are we going to be sensitive to how the Spirit might be stirring our own hearts to march? And maybe for some of you today, your first march takes place from right where you sit right down to this altar. Either to ask God for help in surrendering that thing or that situation or that relationship that you have not yet given to him. Or maybe your march, I don't care if you're in the balcony or if you're in the band, whatever that looks like. Maybe your march is, I have not surrendered not just something in my life, but I have not yet surrendered my life to Jesus. I have not yet given to him what is rightfully his. No, it doesn't make sense for me to relinquish control of my life because our world is telling us that we ought to live how we want to live. But what if God's plan doesn't have to make sense from our perspective? He tells you to die to yourself and to follow him. I would invite you, if you haven't yet made that commitment, there's gonna be pastors down front, I'm gonna be right here. Uh, Come talk to us. We would love to explain a little bit more of what it looks like to follow Jesus. However God's stirring you this morning, tell this to students all the time, the only way that you mess this up is if God is prompting you to move and you say, no, I'm not gonna do that. So whatever it is that the Lord's pressing on your heart to get right, obey, march, do what he says and give him all the credit and all the honor for it. So would you stand to your feet? Let's pray, and then we will have a time of response here and move however it is that the Lord is prompting you this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, the fact that you um, are, uh, though you are mysterious to us in some ways, um, God, you are steadfastly you. We thank you that we don't have to worry about you changing your mind and changing truth moment by moment, but instead we have your truth. But God, would you help us Lord, if you call us to march, help us to to say yes without asking a ton of questions and having a ton of doubts. Um, Lord, our flesh um, encourages us to be fearful, um, but God, you have called us to be faithful. And so Lord, I pray that our church um, would be a church known for its faithfulness. And God, we know that that begins right here, right now. Lord, as we have dwelled on your word, and God, we 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 have seen and we have heard Um, ways in which we can be more faithful to you. And so God, help us to steward that obligation well, uh, but also help us to recognize that our faith is a gift. So Lord, as we sing, um, give us boldness, give us courage to step out, to pray, to ask for help, or perhaps even to surrender our lives to you for the first time. Whatever that looks like, God, I pray that you would um, work in such a way um, that people would not be able to stay still that they would follow you and they would be obedient to you and faithful even in these next few moments. We love you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond this morning how God leads us.
sovereignty in our lives, Lord. Be with us as we go this from this place, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. You guys are dismissed.